Live from the lavish mansion that bankrupted MC Hammer, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kevin, as always, I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. Oh, hello. I might need you to explain that one to me. (laughs) This week we're talking, we are returning, I should say, to the filmography of Barry Sonnenfeld with, Mm. nope, not RV, the Adams Family, a movie that uh, I shockingly revealed a few weeks ago, I had never seen until this past Monday night. Ooh. I'm freaking out, waiting on bated breath to see how Ooh. you feel about this film. Well, I've seen it, and to give Mackenzie some context, I was stunned to hear an MC Hammer song. <laughs> MC Hammer, as everybody knows, made a ton of money and then got into some trouble uh, for spending a lot of that money. And long story short, here we are. So, very hey, exciting. Andrew podcast night. exists. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, MC Hammer. Your financial <laughs> troubles filled up 30 seconds of time on our Austin Powers podcast. Boom. Mackenzie, I, I want to address a couple things before we get into what we've been watching and continue the show. Multiple messages from Kev. Multiple messages from Kev. I'll <laughs> never live that down. I tried to be I tried to be friendly and loyal to my podcasting audience. And uh never again. Never again. And that's kind of what this is about. Number one, uh, it, it's come to my attention that we have crossed fifteen thousand plays of Austin mm. Danger Podcast. And I just want to say thanks. Thank you for listening. Thank you for trying it out. Thank you for coming back. That's what I was about to say. Thanks for coming back each week. We love we love hearing that you all watch these movies along with us and enjoy them with us. And we love making this podcast. So glad you like it too. Think about this. If each one of you sent us a million dollars, we could be doing Austin Danger podcast every day for the rest of our lives. Just a simple Millie. Like Just a simple you? Millie. Where is Sarah McLaughlin? One million dollars. In the arms of a podcast. I had to make um, the Austin Powers reference, you know, for just legally. We have to. Of course. Of course. You always be wanting more, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to address something. Um, the, the cast of the Criterion Connection were on the Real Latinos podcast a couple <laughs> weeks ago talking about the uh, Gael Garcia Bernal uh, Amazon original. I almost said Netflix. It is an Amazon original film called yes, Cassandra. Yes. Um, it's fine. And then if you learn about Cassandra, you're like, oh, no, huge missed opportunity. Yes, but, um, that's that's a good summary of the episode, too. Your podcasting partner and future guest on this show, Ian, which the invitation is still open. Seems to think that Austin Danger Podcast is some kind of game. (gasps) (laughs) We mostly focus on goofy movies, like The Fablemans. That movie's goofy as fuck. This is a podcast that's (laughs) also about real cinema. Movies are dreams. Could you believe? (laughs) Could I believe what? God. The back-to-back, by the way, when people see Maestro, they're going to get what I mean. But the back-to-back of like of like the Mitzi Fableman performance from Michelle Williams and the, excuse me, sorry, everyone. It's been a long couple weeks. Mrs. Leonard Bernstein performance in Maestro. Are they they similar? (laughs) No, they're not similar at all. It's like an actress came to do a job 
versus like a weird bit gone wrong in the fable ends. Um, anyway, I, I just, I just want to say that Austin Danger podcast is more than Barry Sonnenfeld's The Adams Family or Austin Powers. We're capable of covering real cinema, and you're going to see that next year on Austin Danger podcast. Like Willard. Like Willard. <laughs> <laughs> Real cinema like Willard. Real cinema okay. like Willard. When when Ian said that, I was like, they're not totally wrong, but also if people We hit a lowbrow niche. We hit a lowbrow niche with a few random movies like the sixth sense thrown in there. That's how how I consider also danger podcast. There are like two hundred movies on the wheel that are like total I mean, I'm is looking, this the show where where Saving Private Ryan gets a good discussion? I'm looking at the sandwich right now of us having done Scooby Doo into Pig into the Birdcage. Like that's the highs yeah. and lows of Austin Danger podcast. What I'm trying to say is that hopefully by the end of this thing, we'll have been a show about every kind of movie for every kind of person. I want us to do Danny DeVito's dark comedy Death to Smoochie. And then get the thin red line the next week. That is my ideal double feature. That's the kind of show I want this to be. <laughs> it's up to the wheel. So two messages from Kev. Number one, thank you. 15,000 plays. Major honor to be with you every Monday or whenever you listen. Thank you. We love you. Number two. <laughs> I came here jokingly to say that Ian was wrong, but Ian was right. And that's what I, we do here. I was saying, I agreed we with like to have I didn't fun. say anything in the moment because I agreed we, with them. We like to have fun. <laughs> and we're very proud of it. But wait until you hear the Thin Red Line episode of Austin Danger Podcast. Have you ever seen it? I have not seen that movie, no. <laughs> have you seen any Terrence Malick? He, did he do Days of Heaven? He did. I have seen Days of Heaven. Right, and you both think we're mid on that. I'm mid on Days of Heaven. I thought it's beautiful, but kind of boring. Yeah, well, just wait, because you're going to have to do all of them twice, because I think they all link, and they're in the Criterion Collection. (laughs) Amazing. Good luck with that. So anyway, uh, everybody go listen to Real Latinos. It's in your best interest to get on that now. As an awesome Danger podcast listener, I'll say that. And uh, yeah just one of the many great podcasts that that fill up the patchwork of my now playing feed every week it's a beautiful thing (laughs) thank you and we love you guys all right Mackenzie, it's time what you've been watching hard segue wow hard pivot that's a really hard hard pivot um i haven't watched a bunch this week honestly i do you know we did a rewatch of lost highway my dear friend ned came over for the first time in a hot second we hung out and got high and put on lost highway as one does. very funny and weird showing it to two people that have never seen it rachel and ned uh who were both like what the fuck is going on <laughs> um because like i don't even know how to explain that um yeah i'm trying to think of i i i've been in a slump of like i have a watch list i have a million lists that are also watch lists and every time i sit down i'm like i don't want to watch any of these things uh and so i've just been trying to follow my bliss and i've been kind of just in the mood for have something lighter some lighter fare so i put on what i thought was going to be lighter fare with last year's uh paul white's film moving on 
with uh, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. I knew of this because it came out around the same time as 80 for Brady. And I was, you know, I love these two ladies. Everyone knows of my love of 80 for Brady and just these women in general. Um, and so it's been on my radar and I saw it was on Hulu and I was like, oh, I'll check it out because it was pitched as a comedy. Uh, this movie is very dark. This movie uh, is very intense. This is not a spoiler. Um, this is a just this is the plot of the movie. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin have a mutual friend, which more secrets are uncovered about that I, about that person who I will not reveal on the podcast in case you want to watch it because they're pretty major spoilers. But this friend dies. They go to her funeral and Jane Fonda tells the widow, I'm going to kill you this weekend, by the way, now that she's dead she can't get in my way. I'm going to kill you. And you very pretty much immediately find out that this man sexually assaulted Jane Fonda when they were all in college and then went on to marry her friend and her friend never knew about this assault. It's very complicated and sticky. And then that's not what I was expecting from this movie. Uh, and again, there is, there's even deeper kind of stuff. It gets into homophobia. Lily Tomlin's character is gay. And so it gets into some homophobia from when they were growing up and a lot of other things, but it's a pretty dark movie. And it's, I ended up going about three stars with it because while I enjoyed these ladies getting to work with some meatier material than let's say 80 for Brady, um, it was a little tonally disjointed. Like it was trying to be a comedy while also having these very, very intense moments that are required of the subject matter that it's kind of tackling. So it was a little tonally off. I think I blame the director for that. Really. It just, it just, didn't quite seem to know what tone it was going for. There was a really weird B plot of like Lily Tomlin awakening a queer child with costume jewelry. Uh, it's which was unneeded. It <laughs> just didn't need to be in the movie. It was really random. So I'm not saying this is a perfect movie. What? <laughs> Sorry, your, your face. Your this dropped. movie has. I want listeners. If you're if you're driving right now, pull over. Oh, pull out your phone. Look up the poster of this movie. It <laughs> yes. is the most, I, it's so boring. You don't even notice the gun at first blush. <laughs> no, no, you it do is not. so dull. It but is so much yeah. crazy stuff goes on. Like, why did they hide this? Yeah. I mean, this movie, like you may want to even warn people. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the gun is important, right? Like it's, it's about this kind of murder plot that is continually thwarted throughout the film. And yeah, it's dealing with a lot of, themes of sexual assault and uh ptsd and just not what i was expecting um so i recommend checking it out like i think it's a pretty mid-tier movie but like i don't think there's anything bad with a movie being mid-tier right it, it hits that sweet spot of that kind of mid-budget movie that that we've we've discussed has kind of all but gone away um and i like that about it it's a, it's a it's a kind of simple drama that has some great performances and some middling writing what more could you want so uh yeah that's something i put on this week Again, not not didn't not an all timer. Not going to blow my mind. But if you like Jane Fonda or Lily Tomlin, I think you'll get a kick out of the film because it's just great to see them working and being great. Uh, and I guess I will mention because we watched The Adams Family today, and we will talk about Raul Julia in uh, detail. Beloved, our beloved Gomez Adams. Uh, I was bored after watching The Adams Family. Just wait, going to waste some time before recording found out about this movie called Overdrawn at the Memory Bank from 1984 with Raul Julia in it. And I just clicked on it because the poster is haunting. It's just Raul Julia's handsome face. 
Uh, and the cap in the description is a futuristic rebel becomes a Humphrey Bogart character while watching repeated reruns of Casablanca. And I thought to myself, I have to see this immediately. Uh, and thankfully, Kev, you told me there was a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode about it. So I literally just found that episode on YouTube and watched it. So I watched it with the riffing. Uh, and it was pretty, it was really fun. The movie is so bad. It was filmed on videotape. Which I think is you. It's I kind of love that, like the look of it. Like it was literally filmed on a VHS recorder. I kind of think it's fab. It's a TV movie, so it's a it looks like a TV movie and is written like a TV movie. It wants to be the mate. It's like the Matrix. It's like a, I don't know. It's just it's very goofy. It's very bad. Raul Julia is doing his best Humphrey Bogart, and it's it's very bad but very endearing. Um, I definitely recommend checking out the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode on it because it is a very, very fun uh, episode. They do do a weird amount of fat jokes near the end at, at the expense of one of the fat characters in the film. And I'm like, all right, Mystery Science Theater 3000, we can chill out a little bit. But the rest of the episode was very, very funny. So, yeah, I just watched some weird shit this week. <laughs> I've watched pretty much nothing else. Um Kev, unless you have thoughts about Overdrawn at the Memory Bank, what did you watch this week? You know, I've loved that show my whole life. I don't think I've even seen that episode. They used to rerun them on Saturday mornings. I would watch Whoa. the host segment and then get bored and watch something else. I would, um, didn't it, it got rebooted on Netflix, I feel like, when I was early in college. It was like, it, it feels like freshman, did. sophomore year. And that's how I got into the show is I just was watching those a bunch in college and uh when i finished those i went back and watched a bunch of the old ones so i, I might oh, get back man. into mystery science Theater. you might be seeing me log a bunch of really stupid movies lately because it's nice like background audio because it's like funny and chill and generally these movies are so bad that nothing's actually happening in them so i don't know i started a tag a mystery science tag so i can keep watching more films and tag them with that kev i'm I started a tag that got the whole world riffing <laughs> yeah, you know, I grew up again, I, I grew up loving the show. But yeah, I haven't really thought about revisiting the episodes are all literally the movie length. So it's tough. Yeah. Like, I get anxious enough about time in general. So it's hard. I don't I don't know. Watch Santa Claus. Santa Claus and Santa Claus Conquers the Martians are very good. Um, whatever the Gamera is with the three different versions of the Gamera song. Catalina Caper is a lot of fun. Whoa. There's some good ones. Well, as much as I want to talk about how much I had to combat my own urge to sleep during Ryusuke Hamaguchi's Evil Does Not Exist, which is a good movie <gasps> that had severe Kevin didn't get any sleep issues. Okay. Okay. I was about to okay. say, holy shit. Every year, around the time the Oscars happen, we do an award called the Austin Awards. They are for excellence in cinema, as far as we see it. It's our award show. We make our rules. We put people in the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Legends or whatever we call it. Whichever it is, it's the Hall, and that's where they go. <laughs> yes. And one of the awards, probably my favorite award, is the Mojo Award mm. for keeping the legacy of Austin Powers alive. And there was a movie that came out that I was sure would be that movie, but wasn't quite. That was Barbie. Mm, I would agree. But over the weekend, I wasn't going to go to see Dick's the Musical. <gasps> I wasn't going to go. Yes, Kev. Thank you. I, I, 
I listened to the writers of the show and the stars of the film, Aaron Jackson and Josh Sharp on Las Culturistas last night. Yes, the great episode. And I booked a ticket immediately. I was like, whatever this is, it's either going to be the next Freddy Got Fingered or the next Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> and you know what I, people who've seen the movie and know the reaction know what I mean. It's either going to be one of the great train wrecks of all time or actually pretty brilliant. And while it's a total mess, it's really, really brilliant. I was hoarse for hours laughing so hard at this film. ADP legend Nathan Lane, who is such an anchor of this film, the New York Times wrote a profile about it. Wow. Yeah, I saw that. I feel like when this comes to streaming or however it's going to come out to rental, we got to do a bonus on this film. I would love that. It has so much of the, for Austin Powers, it was the groundling second city spirit. This is UCB, but right? For, it's a bunch of UCB for their people. generation, that's right. Well, this is based on Aaron Jackson, Josh Sharp. They wrote a musical uh, called Fucking Identical Twins. Yes. And they put it on at UCB. And that's, that, and that's the exact energy mm-hmm. that gets put into the film. Now, there is stuff that sticks out because they obviously had to make it a movie with multiple characters and not them wearing wigs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Megan the Stallion shows up for about 20 seconds to do one song and then promptly... They, they might as well have put a door out behind the set so she could leave on camera because she never comes back. <laughs> on that Las um, Culturistas episode, they were making jokes of like, I don't even think Megan would recognize us if she saw us. <laughs> like like they, they were making a lot of jokes. They were like, I don't think she remembers she's in the movie. Like, I don't think she I knows. I have to go back and listen to that because she also <laughs> seemed like she was having a good time. Oh, yeah. That's the biggest thing. During the stick around after the credits for outtakes. And a full on outtake reel with great moments from everybody, including Megan. Oh, I love that. That's great. It's great. The songs are catchy and wonderful. There's real gross out again. Like I think this is maybe not Freddie got fingered in terms of like disaster. Cause a 24 is not old media the way Paramount is. Mm. So there's not a lot to thumb the nose to, and it's not aggressive either. In fact, it's a little flat <laughs> by design. Mm. But it has so much of that UCB energy that I value so much. Um, yeah, that's a group of just, like yeah. comedians I love, and I obviously we I love, we both love Nathan and Megan Mullally, who's in it. And I'm just I have been so ready to see this movie. I cannot wait to see it. I was I love that Lost Culturistas episode. I recommend listening to it because it's it's just friends hanging out. And there was a part where they were talking about the director who directed Borat and like the kind of comedy language he was bringing to it but that he was approached like they were approaching it like we are making a comedy like Borat or we're making a kind of like they were approaching it from the comedy UCB era and then apparently he was coming at it like I want to make a shitty MGM musical and so like I think that that's fun that they kind of met in the middle hopefully with with those two energies it feels like a DIY MGM musical yeah I saw on a Broadway message board somebody was like oh the lyrics were so amateurish I'm like, motherfucker, what do you think this is? That's what it's supposed to be. It's comedians writing songs. Ridiculous. Oh, and also, speaking of people who were dropped into the movie, Bowen Yang does have time with other performers, but is mostly at a, in a green screen. <laughs> and, and I was afraid the whole movie that it would just have been like very similar to the Megan the Stallion role. Like, 
They wanted to get Bowen in. They're friends with him. He's mm-hmm. well known and could get eyes on it, right? There's yeah. value for everybody in having him there. But he actually brings a lot to the movie. And as it turns out, he's the core thesis of the movie. Oh, wow. The movie is sending a message and Bowen Yang is the messenger and he's very good. Oh, I love that. I, mean, I am so excited yeah. to see it. Oh my God. You should check it out. I think uh, listeners, either you'll, you'll love it or you'll super hate it. The trailer will give you an idea of if you will or not, but also does not fully represent the film. It's very frustrating mm. to like, I, I can't imagine marketing this movie because it's unmarketable. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Dick's the musical gets a big thumbs up from me. I think I may go up. I think I may watch it again and I may go up in my score. Whoa. Um, because I've been listening to the songs and just like the project. It reminds me of something else I loved. I forgot if I mentioned here, but I saw Gutenberg, the musical. Oh, I don't um, think you did. Written by the guys who wrote the book of the Beetlejuice musical and performed oh, on Broadway with Andrew the, Reynolds and yes, Josh Gad. Yes, talk about this. Yes, 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 yes. And I went in and I was like, what is this going to be? And as it turns out, not only is it my shit, it's the most my shit musical of the 21st century, except for the Great Comet of 1812. <laughs> That's a show that also came from UCB and was performed off Broadway and has a lot of that same DIY spirit. Like yeah. in Dick's the Musical, you can imagine one of the guys doing the Megan Mullally song. And they even at the very end, they show you a little bit of it. And it's great. And oh, my God. Well, I would. I'm thinking Pee-wee too. Pee-wee, right? Has that same yes. energy. Like, and, and you, exactly. you watch the stage show of Pee-wee and you feel that energy and it comes through on the film too. That's a great point. Yes, exactly the same thing. The thing that SNL tries to get, but can't quite figure out. Yes. And the thing that made Scott Aukerman the, the head of an empire. <laughs> so that's Dick's the Musical. Also this week, I went to the Anthology Film Archives and I saw the brand new restoration. Thank you to the Film Foundation and Martin Scorsese. I'm going to single-handedly blame him for this. Um, last year on Ammonite Movie Night, Jared picked a movie called The World's Greatest Sinner. And at the time, I really didn't think much of it. Jared often picked very esoteric and weird movies. This is a one almost one-man production from Timothy Carey, who was a character actor. He's in uh, the two early Stanley Kubrick movies. I believe it's The Killing and Paths of Glory. He plays a pivotal role in Paths of Glory. He has a very distinctive look and face. And if you've, if you've no, seen him, you know you've seen him. You'll recognize him immediately. So he makes this movie. He funds it himself. He gets Frank Zappa to do the music. It's called The World's Greatest Sinner. It's about a guy named Clarence Hilliard. He's an insurance salesman. And he kind of gets sick of the grind and he gives everybody the day off. He gets fired for that. And then he becomes a cult leader, basically. Oh, okay. He picks up a guitar and he sees a rockabilly band. This is like in the 60, late 60s, right? So this is a reaction to Elvis. But he picks up a guitar and he starts like, <laughs> like playing junk. And then he goes, please take my hand. And he's got these like extremely long-winded speeches about how I can give you eternal life and I can make you a superhuman being. I'll make you a superhuman being. And then the cult gets so big that he can't do the rockabilly stuff anymore. And he runs for president and starts calling himself God. He starts calling himself God Hilliard. And there's another God who may have something to say about that. I won't give it away. 
Um, the movie is really beautifully restored, looks gorgeous, sounds about as good as they could get it. And you could tell they're really stretching to try to make it sound good. <laughs> but um, it's it's just uh, I love this movie. It's a beautiful <sighs> film. Friend of the show and witness of death. Scott and Tarante gave it five stars. <laughs> Wait, as well. He went death. into seeing my score. Um, it is impossible to find. Unless you're in New York last week because it's gone. Jeez. They only ran it one week. But I'm hoping that the restoration means that they're going to try to put it somewhere. I think you can rent it on Prime, but the quality is not. I can't imagine what quality that's going to be if the Internet Archive version that's since been taken down that I saw last year was pretty rough. So This is wild. So is it like The Wall? Like Is it like, a, is it like that kind of? musical-esque uh, energy or no there's no actual songs he just bangs out oh, on the guitar okay so music frank by zappa frank zappa okay oh okay i was like so what the fuck is that about there's a song up front and then they do the score this seems wild i love this movie it's fucking crazy if you think listeners if you think southland tales is well it's a bit more it makes more sense than southland tales but uh yeah, if you can find a copy or maybe rent it on Prime and try with the quality. Uh, the world's greatest sinner. Dear friend Brandon, who's been on this show before with our T2 yes. episodes, um, said two and a half stars. Not really sure what to think about this. It's like mashing together a racer head and a face in the crowd with a $4 budget? Yes. Yeah, so head. Oh, my God. The other, I don't know about a racer head. I guess there's some stuff in there. I'm seeing people no, like, compare it to Lynch a lot in the in the reviews on letterboxd the comparison on letterboxd that i like is the room meets a face in the crowd mm, interesting. because written directed produced by one guy it's his vision of the world it is clearly his vision of the world because he is looking at elvis he's doing elvis he's wiggling his hips and he looks absurd doing it but that's the point like the cult of followers that he assembles and trying to say that he's God feels like a reaction to the Beatles saying they're bigger than Jesus and stuff like that. Mm, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. It feels very personal and also is insane. So in that way, it's very much like the room. Yeah. I'm curious if this restoration is going to become available. Cause I, I check it out. I think it's worth a watch. It's like 70 minutes long. What else oh, are you doing? Hell yeah. I have just Google imaged and the facial hair this man has is insane. You, they, you can see them gluing it on. It's, it's actual, the story of the facial hair is in the movie as a part of the movie. Wow. They like take a piece of felt and they glue it to his face. Wow. <laughs> Okie dokie. Oh my gosh. Take my hand. I love this film. Holy shit. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I had a great week. I had a great movie watching week. Let me tell you. Hell yeah. I'm really happy. It. Oh, also the morning show is insane. It remains crazy. If you're not on this train yet, like you kind of got to grind. You got to grind, grind to get to season three. But season three is nuts. I'm, I'm on the struggle bus, but I'm trying to claw my way to season three. They continue to discuss the fallout of the January 6th raid on the Capitol on the show. That's all I'll say. If you thought showing it wasn't enough, but that's it. That is all I've been watching this week that I want to talk about on the show. Well, speaking of things you want to talk about on the show. Whoop 
fake news. What does it all mean, Basil? This little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had Austin news, but this little piggy has none. And this little piggy cried, subscribe, rate us on iTunes and Spotify, and then send us a million dollars all the way home. That's what we're working with, folks. I looked in the Google News subject for all three movies, and I got nothing. I got how to watch the Austin Powers movies in order again. Well, Kev, if there's no Austin news, does that mean it's time to finally figure out what you think of the Adams Family? Like, how do you not look up Wikipedia? Why do you have to go to Collider or MovieWeb to tell you what Austin Powers movie is which? God, get us out of here. Yes, it is time to talk about the Adams Family. Barry Sonnenfeld, Blue Armand with Raising Arizona. Here he is with this. Mackenzie, bring us in. It's been 25 years since Fester Adams disappeared after a falling out with his brother, Gomez. Gomez loves his beguiling wife, Morticia, his murderous daughter, Wednesday, and his goofy son, Pugsley. But without his brother, there's an entire part of his heart missing. Gomez's lawyer, Tully, who is in deep debt to a con artist, Abigail Craven, notices that Craven's son, Gordon, closely resembles the unique-looking Fester Adams. They concoct a plan to con the Adams family out of their riches by having Gordon pose as Fester and assimilate himself into the family. Gordon is quickly welcomed with loving arms into the family, though as his facade occasionally slips, members of the family grow wary that their beloved Fester is an imposter. As Fester, Gordon begins to grow close to the family, especially the children and realizes that he feels loved, accepted, and content in ways he never did in his everyday life. Could he really be an Adams? Sadly, Gordon has no choice once Tully discovers that as the elder brother, quote-unquote, Fester, is the executor of the, state, of the estate, and the con is on. Abigail and Tully are able to get a restraining order against the Adamses to banning them from their own estate. They attempt to restart their lives, hurt from the betrayal, to no avail. Eventually, Morticia returns to the home to confront Gordon, and she's captured by Tully and Abigail, who have been unsuccessful in accessing the vault of riches beneath the home and attempt to torture her for the answers. Thing alerts Gomez, who comes to her rescue, and fed up with the mistreatment from his mother, Gordon turns on her and helps rescue the rest of the family while burying his abusive mother and the devious Tully. During the final moments of the film, we learn that when Fester was struck with lightning from the hurricane book he used to defeat his mother and Tully, it unlocked memories that he lost when he apparently did go missing in the Bermuda Triangle. He was actually Fester all along, the real Fester, suffering from amnesia and only recovered his memories because of the lightning strike. The family celebrates together as Morticia reveals that she's pregnant. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together, Uki, Barry Sonnenfeld's The Adams Family. There it is. Not half bad. <laughs> Very good. I was like, I gotta end Very it. Good. I gotta end it with the theme song, you know. Well done. Thank you. Well, I've I've never seen it. <laughs> really? I'm so shocked by that. Like genuinely. I have so many memories around these two movies. I remember scenes. I remember ideas. I remember music cues. 
so many things around these movies, but I don't remember sitting down and being like, yes, we're going to watch it. I remembered that the plots for both movies are insane bullshit. <laughs> they both revolve Crazy. around Fester in a huge way, both of the films. Like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, the but no, I have no, I have memories of this. I have Mandela effect mm. thoughts of this, but mm. that's it. Yeah, I was trying to, I can't really pinpoint my origins with this film because we've, we've covered a few of these or talked about a few of these. Like it, it fits into the same vein as uh, for people who know me, uh, Charlie's Angels, Moulin Rouge, Coyote Ugly. Uh, these movies fit into with me. Adam's Family is also a part of that group of movies that like, I just only, I always remember loving my whole life. Like ever since I knew how to love movies, I loved those movies because those were movies I watched a lot growing up. Um, you know, Bowfinger, Charlie's Angels, Moulin Rouge, Cardi Ugly, and The Adams Family. And I think I probably must have discovered it on ABC Family or something because I feel like I associate this movie with, and its sequel with playing a bazillion times uh, around the ha- Halloween season on ABC Family. So I'm sure that's where I first watched them. And then it just kind of became like, if it's a movie, it, it became both of them, especially Values, which one day we will talk about, uh, which many people, including myself, consider it to be an even better movie than this one. Um, it's one of those movies where if you see it on TV, you're like, yeah, I'll watch that. Like I could put on Adam's Family any day of the week and be really happy. Like it's just such a breezy, fun, awesome watch. And uh, a recent mutual of mine, Clara Curtis, I was reading their review and they were saying how it, these movies get better the older you get. And I, I totally agree with that. Like I loved these movies as a kid because as a weird misunderstood kid who felt like an outsider and a weirdo, I could see this family of beautiful weirdos who loved each other a lot. And like, they felt like people that I could be a part of and, and their movies are just funny and entertaining. And then as I get older, I continue to have that like emotional connection to the Adams family as well as. I get more of the jokes, more of the adult jokes. I get more how horny these movies are. The the kind of jokes that wink at the audience a bit more. Uh, yeah, so these movies get better, I feel like, as you get older. And we've talked about it before. I was a huge fan of the Adams Family musical when I was in early high school, late middle school. And that obsession with that musical led to an obsession with all things Adams Family. So I bought the entire original series and I watched all of that a bazillion times when I was a kid. I watched the movies a bunch. My car is still named Morticia. Uh, my very first car I named Morticia. Then she died before I got to drive her. So then I'm now on Morticia the third. Uh, Tish, Tish three. Um, yeah, it's just, it's one of those, like, I, I, it's, I've loved the Adams Family as an IP and entity and these films as long as I can remember loving movies and things of the such. Long history is all I can say with just everything to do with the Adams family. That's interesting. I, I, I can't say I was so obsessed, but I think the monsters scratched that itch for me yeah, as a kid. Yeah. Which is like a little goof much, a little <laughs> both, both um, properties have the subtlety of like a bulldozer. Yes. But the monsters was a little dumber. <laughs> And so I could vibe with that. I feel like there's, because of the nature of them being New Yorker cartoons, Charles Adams' mm-hmm. original cartoons, I feel like there is a, a drollness to the Adams family. Yeah. 
that is warmth in the monsters. Mm. The only difference is Rob Zombie couldn't afford to ruin the Adams family. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, we got to do the monsters one day. I, oh, yeah, boy. I've never seen it. That's I'm the mayor of DNF City of the monsters. I tried it four times. <gasps> Whoa, I did not know that. Yeah, I couldn't do it. <sighs> but I, I also Rob Zombie. We'll we'll, Ugh, you know, we'll get yeah. to Rob Zombie as well one day. I want to know what are your sort of initial thoughts? Like, what are your broad overarching things, or maybe the first thing you want to get into with this movie? Uh, let's let's start broad. Let's start overarching, right? I, I don't have a lot of specifics for this movie, so I think getting as broad as possible as much as possible is best. Mm-hmm. Um, like many movies that matter a lot to a lot of people, the tragedy here is that I was just too late to the party on this. Mm-hmm. I love, I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. I had a lot of fun, but again, I I don't have, it's not like five stars, I don't think it'll ever, that's what I mean. I don't think it'll ever be that like, um, like the amazing, perfect, beautiful thing. Cause I wasn't there. If I was there, it would be. And then I just missed out on it. Like my, the Adams family is a movie that came out because of the success of the Adams family. And that was the Brady Bunch movie. Mm, Future episode. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That movie is way worse than this. Objectively but is so ironic and ridiculous that the Austin Powers podcast guy just can't help himself. (laughs) Um, But no, the Adams family, the movie is fun. I think it's like, why is it so complicated? That's the thing I really don't understand. Why is it so complicated? It's, it's, it's uncle Fester's imposter, right? Great. Got it. Classic sitcom thing. Got it. Then he was really fester, but had amnesia. And the reason that the imposter came in was that he was just some guy. He happened to know that it was Uncle Fester. And, and I know that this is like a cartoon for children, right? <laughs> I too saw the Tombstone commercial in this film. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, I wanted to feel the things that friend of the show Gugrux Dave feels about this film, Mm. but I wasn't there. I don't have it, but still it's aged. Great, great performances, which I'm sure we'll get to. And, um, I had a lot of fun, but why is it so complicated? (laughs) That's my note. I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think that the whole, like, I, I remember when I was younger, I used to kind of be thrilled by the idea of like, you don't know for sure if he's, actually fester or if he's a guy who just looks like fester like i kind of almost wish the film kept that ambiguity because i remember when i was a kid it used to like bother me i'd be like but is he actually him uh or like that kind of energy i think they're just they overcomplicated at the end because i think it's trying to be funny and i also think maybe they just want to put the audience's mind at ease and be like yes this is fester's origin story now adam's family is complete like i i don't know i think the second film definitely um simplifies a bit more it splits actually it's a more true a and b plot that are kind of going together that i think you know coincide together at the end really successfully and it's it's a much more uh cut and dried kind of central plot i would say with with nuance and humor and ingrained in it so maybe maybe that cleans up and in, in values for you a bit i've gotten signs in the dms all week that this was going to be the terminator but reversed and i feel like we're not quite there. I like this better than you like Terminator, but sure. I feel like that's the vibe I've gotten from 
the general reception around values. Values is iconic and it's really, really good. I, I almost put it on today. I might just put it on tomorrow, honestly. But yeah, like my main thought is that this is like many original movies we talk about, a totally workable, absolutely fine. Like this is exactly the movie you want if you're at Paramount and you order an Adam's Family movie. Perfect, iconic. I I think it's an interesting choice to throw the viewer in. Like we have the audience insert of the Fester imposter. And I think that that is done for all, as, as complicated as the story may be, that element of it was really smart and innovative. In an Adams Family movie, I didn't think there was design space left. Mm. And, and design space, I mean like possibilities to do stories that aren't like, oh, they're going to foreclose on the house or like somebody's dating a weird girl, which is like a, a weird quote, human, <laughs> regular person, which is a monster's staple. Yes. That's the Adams Family but, musical plot. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. That's where I was like, that sounds really familiar. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. So I applaud them for that. Giving the audience like no information and then having them learn it naturally, right, is, is a fascinating choice. I loved the direct pulls or I don't know for sure, but they seemed like direct pulls from the Charles Adams. Yes. Right. Like the cold open of this The cold film open is a famous is, panel. Yeah. Okay. Because it's a slow, it kind of reminded me of the stretching, stretching paintings in the Haunted Mansion, mm. the way the camera slowly crawled up to reveal the cauldron. I love when in, in IP, I, I hate saying it like this, but I love in IP movies when there's a moment at the beginning to ease people like, we get it, we understand it, we know what it is. Like in Barbie, for example, it was the eating and the drinking and all the gags in the dream house for me that was like oh yeah you totally understand but um listeners have no fear i enjoyed it i have notes i mean yeah i i definitely have nostalgia for it right like i i, I rate both of these films five stars it's on my letterbox i'm not gonna hide it like i i love these movies they're very ingrained in me um i yeah i still i think what always hits me each time i watch it i forget how just like funny it is to me personally i like there's so many just lines that make me genuinely laugh out loud. Like I find this to be a very solid comedy in terms of its balance of like kooky story mixed with really great character work by everyone involved mixed with pretty good joke per minute rate rate. I would say like, I feel like it's just a solid like comedy in a way that like, I don't always feel with a lot of comedies nowadays. Um, and so I, I think that's why I just continue to love it. Cause it's just like such an easy, funny, entertaining film to put on. And then yeah, values is even more entertaining in its own way. Uh, phenomenal Joan Cusack performance again, not to T to it, but yeah. And I mean, maybe let's talk about the performances. I, you know, we got to talk about the main two Angelica Houston and Raul Julia. To me, they are Morticia and Gomez. Like I, I've seen other, and I love, love, John Aston and Carolyn Jones, the OG. And I've obviously seen many other iterations of people try to play the Morticia and Gomez, but nobody, nobody hits it for me like Raul and Angelica. I think they're absolutely perfect. When I envision those characters, they are who I see. Um, and especially the late great Raul Julia, who I you know talked about earlier. I watched that other really crappy movie for him. He is still a highlight in that really crappy movie. He is, he was, I think just such a one of a kind 
actor who just lights up the screen every moment he's on screen. He is so, he makes Gomez feel so lived in and so human, even in his weirdness and his strangeness. There was a moment where he was watching something with Fester and he was on the verge of tears. I was watching Raul Julia play this Gomez who is about to burst into tears. And like, I was like, he is doing it, man, for this Adams Family movie. Uh, Angelica also, she just, she's so much funnier than I remember. On this watch, I was really struck by how funny her line deliveries were. Uh, like she, like she's she's an actress who I, I love, Angelica Houston, but I don't think of her as like a comedy queen. And like she, I think she's so funny in this movie. I love how my two of my favorite line readings was when Lindsay was walking by with a knife, and she's like, "Is that for your brother?" <laughs> I don't think so. And then grabs an even bigger cleaver. My favorite, and <laughs> yes. I love when the teacher is showing all of the role models that the other normal girls have brought in. And uh, she very seriously goes, have you contacted their mothers? Like she just, her, her subtlety in her humor is so funny and it plays so well off of Raul Julia's more expressive and bombastic characterization as Gomez and, they are they are just perfect. Uh, everyone on all the top letterbox reviews and the internet says that they are relationship goals. The love and lust they have for one another is so uh, beautiful and truthful and great coming from these two powerhouse actors. Uh, so yeah, I just I wanted to say I love these two lead performances. Like everyone else in the world, I love these two performances. Look at her. I would die for her. I would kill for her. Either way, what bliss? Unhappy, darling? Oh, yes. Yes, completely. Gomez. Son, il me perce comme un poignard. That's French. Oui. Cara mia. Monsieur Soleil. Gomez. Querida. Last night you were unhinged. You were like some desperate howling demon. You frightened me. Yeah, and it's especially important to know, I mean, Raul Julia giving it his all is not a huge, it's not a huge surprise, but it's also vital. I think in Gomez, you need an actor who is willing to commit to mm -hmm. it because it's, this humor is such a tightrope, right? Mm -hmm. That like the wrong person or the wrong performance or the wrong line read, right? So I'm thinking like if they had inappropriately casted Tim Curry, for example, mm. who is wonderful and would have done a decent job. But he's the kind of guy in that era I would see them probably going for. Mm, not quite for this. Right? And that would be a mess. I don't know if they did or not. I feel like I'm looking at Mackenzie right now, and I feel like she may be Googling. Well, there was a third film. So, I yeah, Tim Curry, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's why he came to mind. Yeah. Because Tim Curry it's, is and Gomez. And it's Daryl Hannah. The TV movie. And it's not good. Uh. And it's I remember watching it as a kid because... Um, I would have taken a million more of these films and you're, you maybe were leading up to this 
uh, I said the late great Raul Julia. He died shortly after the second film was released. Shortly after yes. that and like Street Fighter were released, he died from stomach cancer. Um, and just a massive talent, I think, gone obviously far too soon. Uh, and I think they just it feels kind of distasteful to me to like hop on a sequel just a few years after he died. Uh, and they just, they tried to, I think to make it into a soft reboot, but still make people trick people into watching it because it feel they wanted to hearken to the one that we had already fallen in love with. Uh, and yeah, Tim Curry plays, plays Gomez in that. And I recall it being deeply bad. Uh, so Oh God, this sounds horrendous. I'm just reading this. I remember them here. being at like a tropical hotel. That's like the one thing I remember about that movie because I watched it on TV a bunch. Oh, it's the Beetlejuice one goes Hawaiian. <laughs> it's the one I don't revisit, obviously, every year. Um, but the, sorry, what were you getting into? You were getting into. Um... Uh, I was going to talk about that, and then I was going to get into Angelica Houston's time behind the scenes. Mm because this was not an easy shoot for her because of all the makeup required to get into that character. Yeah. There were elastic straps to pull her eyes a certain way. She's Louise. And then there would be like hours of makeup, hours of reapplying and unapplying and all this awful. But yet like you could never know. No. She's there. It's perfect. She's amazing in this. Through all that bullshit, she's doing a great job. Total pros. What has she been up to, Angelica Houston? She remember she was in Smash, wasn't she? Or am I crazy? Was she in Smash? I didn't watch Smash. I'm probably I need to Google that before I tell people Oh she, she was in Transparent. She was in Transparent. That might be what I'm thinking of. She was the narrator of the French Dispatch, which I did not remember. Oh yeah. When is she gonna be back on screen with Wes? That's my real question. She was uh, credited as a mute character in Isle of Dogs. Ha 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 ha. Oh my God. Uh, She's going to be in the John Wick spinoff Ballerina starring Anna de Armas. I think she's going to be the villain. Oh, it looks like she's in Star Wars Visions this year. Great. What the fuck is Star Wars Visions? Great. Sith Mother. It's a, it's, it's, um, what they do is they go out to animation studios all over the world and they say like, make a star Wars short Oh, and like do whatever you want. It's really cool. It's like the only cool thing they produce. Sorry. Oh, she wasn't smashed. That isn't. Thank God. My musical theater kid card isn't revoked. (laughs) That cast is so Kev coded. It's like Angelica Houston, like Deborah messing and Christian Borel, I think is in it. Like it's Megan, Megan Hilty. Like it's a very Kev coded show. Brian Darcy James. Hey, a lot of our guys. Oh boy, a lot future of our guys. episode Shrek the musical. Shrek Brian Darcy the James. fucking musical with Brian Darcy James, baby. This is the kind of night we're having, folks. Can you tell that the movie is vibey and that there's not a lot of specifics to talk about? <laughs> besides, that was good. I know all my notes are just like lines and things that made me laugh. Um, love a Christopher Lloyd. He's love great. A Christopher Lloyd. I think he's perfect at this. Yes. I love again, like he's playing both really well. So you can you get you get the fester you want. The established audience, the Star Wars nerds get to see Luke Skywalker, right? Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> and then the new audience can look at through the eye, look at the Adams family through the eyes of like a, a quote normal person and have it be somewhat interesting. I don't know if we needed to have the the just the layers on layers of intrigue, but <laughs> he's very good. He's great. We have we have 
Yes. I'm trying to figure out a joke that I could make about, um, oh my God, what is her name? Jenna Ortega. And I can't. But can we talk about how Hollywood is dead set on making this girl into just like Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci too? Yeah, and because like, I know. Yes. Why? Why? They're putting now her they, in they Beetlejuice now, and everything. She's good at it, right? I think Wednesday, I've seen a bunch of it. It's fun. But I think you were going to get to the Beetlejuice too, which I find outrageous. Like, why is that video, happening? Like Adam's family reunion tier. Yeah, literally. Casting. Yes, literally. Why are they doing that movie? I don't understand why you would make a Beetlejuice too. Oh, because people will go. Because I think people will go. <sighs> like they're cashing in on Beetlejuice's appearance in future ADP episodes, Space Jam, The New Legacy. Oh, God. Everybody remembers Beetlejuice from that movie, right? Holy shit. And they have Keaton from The Flash, who, if we ever talked about Birdman, that would be crazy. But how crazy is it that he did Birdman 10 years ago and it's a movie about how he's stuck doing like, his old character oh, for the rest of his life the, and now he's yes. back I and watched, they have him on the hook. I watched Birdman like a couple months ago and and that's all I could think about was that he's just doing this. He's just doing Birdman. Not to give too much from a potential Birdman discussion away, a hypothetical discussion, but at the time... I thought he was saying, fuck you. Yeah. Because then he went on to do great character performances in great dramatic films. Yes. And then Boom. like when that dried up, the right leash. back to Batman, baby. <laughs> Batman, Beetlejuice. He'll be Legolas in the new Lord of the Rings. It's, he'll do whatever they want. <laughs> it's great. It's a lot of meta layers. But this is not a Birdman episode. This is an Adam's Family episode. I know. Episode. I'm sorry. How did we no, get here? No, I don't remember. Christina Ricci. Christina what Ricci. Are we? So Christina Ricci, wonderful here. <laughs> but like, I don't, I, I just... Sorry, something about that bugged me and I had to bring it in. What, Christina what, Ricci's wonderful. Oh, okay. I was like, Christina Ricci bugged you? What's going on? Um, no. No, she's great. I love her in this. I mean, she she is, I think, also defines the role for a lot of people. Uh, and Christina Ricci's still an actress I love. Killing it on Yellow Jackets. Still doing oh, yeah. fun, interesting work uh, around this era. She was also in Mermaids, one of her first her first movie ever. Like, I love Christina Ricci. As a, as a tiny baby actor all the way to today, I've been a fan of hers and I, I like her a lot. And she, again, not to T2 it, uh, Wednesday takes a huge like uh, step into the spotlight uh, in Adam's Family Values with a much more meteor role and a lot more. Uh, the, the B plot is pretty much solely for Wednesday to shine. And I think that she was just she's so undeniably interesting and talented at such a young age and i think that the sequel definitely capitalized on how interesting she is in this movie um yeah she's great she absolutely outshines the kid that plays pugsley and i feel really bad for that kid but like Poor i don't know kid. who the fuck he is yeah he got nothing i don't he know who this man nothing. is sorry to this man i don't know who sorry. This man is. <laughs> but if he's not uncle fester then who is he somebody else It has to warm up. Why? So it can kill you. I knew that. Children, what are you doing? I'm going to electrocute him. But we're late for the charity auction. But, Mother... I said no. Please? Oh, all right. Also, like I will, I will say I want to use Christina Ricci here to. Well, Jenna Ortega is today. Christina Ricci is then. Mm -hmm. The whole movie kind of feels, and again, I like this movie. The movie kind of feels like the Tim Burton we have at home. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like the score is very reminiscent of Danny Elfman's music, even though it is the legendary composer, Mark Shaman. But it feels like he's a little, he's very good at pastiche. It feels a little pastiche at times with the Oompa Oompa. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go full Oompa Oompa, but everything about this film feels very much like they saw Beetlejuice and they said, this is how we're going to do the Adams Family. And that's not a bad thing, but the Jenna Ortega of it all really opened my eyes to like, oh, they, oh, they, ooh. And it's this, a cycle, and that yeah. could have been in a Tim Burton Adams Family movie where, I don't know, Johnny Depp plays Gomez. I'm physically ill by this. <laughs> um, you know, Winona Ryder maybe might play, well, that actually would be age inappropriate. Johnny Depp, I'm remembering now, was a kid once. Yes. <laughs> But you know, Johnny Depp could be involved and Winona Ryder would I mean, play Wednesday. I don't, That's the, what I'm getting at. At the level at which Tim Burton's work at the point this was coming out was so, you know, heightening in its popularity and also had such a specific niche it was filling already. I don't know how you are a designer or director in 1991, whenever, whenever this was being produced, and you don't go... We're going to do a Tim Burton thing. Like he's, I feel like Tim Burton was just so in the culture at that time. I don't know how you pitch an Adams family movie without having it feel like a Tim Burton thing. Absolutely right. But I'm just like, wow, the extent at which it was. <laughs> I think it looks really good though. Like I really like the way Beautiful. the movie looks like uh, the, the painted backgrounds on the underground chasm. I was like, what the hell is this? Like it, like it was so beautiful and something that hit me during the scene when they're returning to the house is i know we talk about it a lot in culture and on twitter and blah 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 and discourse about how muddy and gray and dark everything looks nowadays um and i was thinking to myself in that scene where they're outside and it's dark yes it's a dark scene but you still have this beautiful blue light that's helping illuminate the highlights on people's faces gives the frame depth they're using a lot of textures within the set to like it like it looks so vibrant and beautiful for even being a dark scene and i was like man i miss the way dark scenes used to be filmed because like yes this is dark but you can still see depth and texture and life uh and it, it, it just kind of had me shaking my fist about how some digital cinematography looks nowadays with, you know what I mean? Like I, I was just really impressed by the way this film is lit and the really interesting lighting and, and framing choices that it uses. Like, I think it just looks interesting. It also probably helps that, that Barry Sonnenfeld before directing this film was a cinematographer of some of the best films of the eighties. There you go. He shot blood, simple raising Arizona and Miller's crossing for the Coens. Yes. And Misery for Rob Reiner just before this film. Wow. And a little old movie called When Harry Met Sally. That was his cinematography. Are you kidding? I didn't know that. And you can see echoes of all of those films I mentioned, particularly Raising Arizona in this film. Mm. It's fascinating to look at. Um, It's amazing also to ponder that this is the man who would go on to direct RV, but that's a different issue. (laughs) That's not for this week, but yeah, it it absolutely makes sense. He's like a hotshot cinematographer at the time. It looks great. It's got a great look. It, It separates itself enough from the Burton pastiche, but the extent of it was like, wow. I, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. Well, Kev, it's getting a little late. Should we pop some corn? I do want to talk about one more thing. If that's okay. (gasps) Really quickly hit on one more big thing. Who cares? It is getting late. I agree. 
but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the legacy of, we're going to talk a lot about Tim Burton. Batman Mm. was a merchandise machine. When Tim Burton's Batman came out, everything had Batman on it. They sold shirts, they sold cups, they sold toys. They set a precedent that continues through today Mm -hmm. of the expectations around a blockbuster superhero movie. But we talked about this when we did Spider-Man. We'll talk about it when we do the Batman movies later. It ends up really hurting Batman in the late 90s. Mm. We'll get there. This movie features two of the most egregious pieces of product placement I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Number one is, I mentioned it in my letterbox review, it's a shot of Wednesday Adams, and behind her is a Toblerone, not Toblerone, Tombstone Pizza billboard the size of my entire apartment. It is the <laughs> largest billboard I've ever seen. It's yes, so bad. It's really huge. The second is... Kids, sometimes when a movie studio owns a record company, they try to put music that is popular from that record company in the film mm-hmm. in an attempt to sell more records. Mm-hmm. The MC Hammer song written for this film, I'm sorry if you were there at the time, is vile. They do what they want to do, say what they want to say, live how they want to live, play how they want to play, dance how they want to dance, kick and they step for it. It is so bad. And it's like, why even do this? The Adam's family groove that cousin it is jamming to when he pulls up. The the single is MC Hammer in the backdrop from the poster. And the the hammer is in the Batman Forever phone. Interestingly, three years before Batman Forever. So. I just wanted to call those out because it's a legacy of stuff in movies we'll be talking about all throughout the 90s. Austin Powers is uh, a much lesser extent, right? You couldn't put that on a McDonald's cup. But there's a ton of Austin Powers merch as well that one day we'll cover on the show. And it all comes from Batman and Adam's family and other things. So with that in mind, the sun's getting pretty low. So Mackenzie, please kick us off. Give us some popcorn notes. Um, first off, immediately, I yeah, sorry, I just sent Kev a photo of Raul Julia and uh, MC Hammer together. MC Hammer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I love the cuckoo clock of Gomez's face going into Morticia's boobs instantly yes. in the movie. Letting, letting you know, we're going to get a little horny with things. All right. Everybody calm down. The kids can stay, but we're going to get a little horny with it. Um. The effects with Thing, I think, have aged very well. I think I always, when I was a kid, was just like amazed at the way they filmed Thing running down hallways. And uh, something I think is so interesting is that like it's just a hand, but the actor who plays Thing um, infuses Thing with so much personality. And you're like, how the fuck do you do that? I'm so glad you called this out. The Last week on Death Becomes Her, we talked about this phase of special effects where it's blue screen, but the compositing has gotten really good, Mm -hmm. but also CG, like Jurassic Park is being written and in pre-production at this time. Like it's coming and it's going to kill everything, (laughs) (laughs) right? But again, the actor brings so much to it and the Mm -hmm. special effect at the top of the hand. Yeah how could you even draw that flat like that, but executed with skill? I loved this special effect. I thought it was tremendous. It's really good. And I think it, it it like, 
like many 90s films that have great effects knows when to also swap to practical which is a thing i think we've lost a lot and like the the scene where he's on the table trying to do the 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 sign language which i love that line it's like you're awful when you stutter like the idea that thing is stuttering uh his sign language is very funny but the morse code like there's so much weight to the hand because you can tell it's just an actor in the table doing it and i think you feel that weight so it's it does it does it blends very simple practical effects with the cg so well and yeah there's just so much personality and thing in a way that's like kudos to that actor for being able to just infuse that level of of i don't know character into a hand uh a line i loved cyanide fester as if we'd run out uh, great line reading. Um, I love watching Fester feel accepted. Like I love, like it, it seems like this being in Adams is a way of life, and and you you stick with your pack because of the people who get you and love you uh, unconditionally. And clearly, as an Adams loose in the world, he's he's been missing that acceptance. And so I love watching him. Uh, and Christopher Lloyd just plays it so uh, lovingly and sweetly. This like love and and comfort that he begins to feel with the family and i love when he becomes close to the kids and you just see like he truly belongs here like i think christopher lloyd plays that swap so brilliantly this trepidation initially to he truly belongs here i just think he plays though that that switch in the character so well and like just what a great performance what a great character I agree. He's often hired to scream and yell and be ridiculous mm. and there's plenty of that in this film but one of the great secret weapons of Christopher Lloyd is humanity and heart. Mm-hmm. Even in his most villainous roles, you could feel, you could feel him there. He's such a good actor. And yeah, he's, he's just so great. I love him. And I just love the Adams family. You know, I love watching them because again, they, I think people relate to them a lot because they're weirdos, but they also are, are so true to themselves and love each other so much. And that's just a really aspirational, lovely family, especially because they're sort of pushing back at the time they were originally written. Same with the monsters, right? They were pushing back against the um, typical ideal of the American family. Like what, how do we sort of comment on uh, the normativity of the American home by, by showing these kind of oddball families that have as much love and care and happiness in their lives as, as you do, right? It's, it's, uh, I don't know. As a queer person, I think I also love and relate to those levels of just like you have to see that we're just like you, and you'll and you'll see that our love is just the same. And I think that's I think that's sweet, and that love comes through in the family. I think a lot. Yep. Uh, I love them listening to the cars crash. Bravo, Pugsley! Like they just love their kids. It's really sweet. Uh, great line. Uh, we're gonna play a game. It's called "Is There a God?" Uh, like what a hilarious light reading from baby christina ricci uh one of my favorite line readings from raul julia oh i've smoked since i was five mother insisted (laughs) them bidding on their own item at the auction and getting horny as hell over it is so good and like over my head completely as a child how deeply horny that scene is um i love that gomez has his toy trains that's from the original series as well that's like a thing that's established with gomez We've told Wednesday, college first. Uh, that is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> like her line readings are so subtle and so good. Um, I love how long has it been since we waltzed. Oh, Gomez, hours. 
uh, you know, just like these these very. I know I'm doing a specific kind of affectation, but she just has this great voice she's using, and she's just great. She's perfect. I love her. Cousin It is great. Love Cousin It being around, and love that we, as the viewer, do not understand Cousin It, but everyone in the world of the film understands Cousin It. I think that is so funny that like it's it's not commented on in the world, but we, the audience, do not understand, and we watch it seduce a woman out of her marriage and believe me there will be follow-up in the adams family values with this character what yes no what yes they they get they're like they get married they're like they're followed up on this this couple so like it is very funny to watch this happen because like it's just very he's very well used another great kind of practical effect of a character by having this costume piece it's it's brilliant it's so good looks great um, I love that Gomez speaks Italian, is Puerto Rican, I believe, or at least the actor is Puerto Rican, but then they also have Slavic cousins who teach them yeah. Mamushka. Like, what the hell? Where are these, where are these guys from? Who knows? Uh, the Mamushka is great, though. I love watching them do the Mamushka and uh, listening to Raul Julia sing while then it cuts to Morticia super quick playing the violin. That got me on the floor. That shot of Angelica Houston playing the violin very intensely. <laughs> Did you know that there apparently was more Mamushka that got removed and that there is a new 4K version of the Addams Family that is called the More Mamushka Edition? <gasps> specifically because studios have realized they could drip feed special features so thin that more mamushka is enough to buy the disc. I might buy a 4K a 4K with more mamushka. I think I'd get that. Yeah, I mean I feel like the movie in 4K is enough, but True. The more mamushka edition. Yes. I got to pick that up this holiday season. Wow. Uh, I love the line. Give it as a gift. <laughs> yeah. The line. Give it as a gift. With God as my witness, I am that fool. I thought that was funny. Uh, I love when thing is packing up his things to I'm gendering this hand. I don't know when thing is packing up his things to go. I love that things pack like things, things are just gloves. Like a bucket full of gloves is things clothing. I thought that was very funny. (laughs) Uh, It's just a great little thing. Spells and hexes. Ah, liberal arts. That made me laugh. Uh, Are they made from real girl scouts? An iconic line. Mercedes McNabb from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have to issue a correction. It's her in front of the billboard yes. and not okay, Wednesday. Okay. I'm going to send you like, right now a photo though. Like tell me that that's <laughs> not the most egregious shit you've ever seen in your life. That's so fucking huge. No wonder nobody liked my letterboxd review. I was wrong. I'm sorry. You got to go change it's it. It's a Girl Scout. Do you want to know something great though? Go ahead. In the st- imagine this in the style of a uh, Marvel post credit. Mercedes McNabb Girl Scout will return. No way. <laughs> She's back too. She's like the, Did they just film it while they were doing this. They were like, well, we're I here. Don't, we may as well cut Here's it the on. thing. I actually don't know if they acknowledge that she's the same character. Like, I don't know if she's supposed to be the same character, but she does return. And she is sort of the um antagonist to uh Wednesday's whole plot line in the Adam's Family Values. So she's like a main character in the second one. That was a mind fuck for sure. <laughs> It's going to happen. I'm excited. Uh, I love the line. I'm a homicidal maniac. They look just like everybody else. Great line. Uh, And then finally, I love that it all leads up to the iconic light bulb investor's uh, mouth 
uh, just thought that was great. Did you ever play shout out to trainer, the innocent, the Adams family pinball game, which is legendary. I don't, but I think I know that the light bulb is like a part of the bill. Cause I've seen photos of it before. Yeah. The light bulb was a big deal. There's also an arcade game and sports plus as a kid that I forget what the actual gameplay was, but it was a fester light bulb game. Oh, that's so fun. Kev pop me your corn, please. Jesus. I, I just can't. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, I was watching the movie and the plot was very complicated, but then I realized that it was just the plot of Avatar. Mm. <laughs> what? Except at the end, he remembers that he was a Navi the whole time. Oh my God. If you remember, it's a story about a fish out of water audience insert. And we see things through their point of view and they come in and they learn the rules of a new organ civilization. And they learn that the people who perhaps he thought were freaks aren't quite so or well he doesn't know enough to know but the villains they know right so he thinks he's on one side but he switches over to another and then in, at the end jake sully remembers that he's uncle fester so very <laughs> very much an avatar homage this was a mind fuck for me oh for certain God. but that just mind fucked me sorry to drop yeah, that in no, popcorn I mean, notes geez. that's like half an episode on its own like that's a dissertation right there there you go I thought the hook vibes were off the chart with mm, the fencing. Yes. It's it's interesting that this and Hook are almost produced at the same time, mm-hmm. but then like have very much the same idea of down memory, to the music. Yeah. Like, yeah, the memory and then the whatever and the IP of it all, right? Also. But also even the sword fighting feels familiar. Yeah. Is where I was looking at it. A lot of my notes are me slowly realizing that the Adams groove is not just some song and they hired MC Hammer <laughs> to write the song. Oh my God. Um, I noted some stuff that looks like it came right out of Adams, Pugsley with the guillotine, mm. Gomez paddling through the catacomb singing, the opening for sure, as I said, thing holding the hand of the seance, etc. What else do I have here? Um, there's a Sex in the City 2 homage. Oh, when Gomez and Morticia outbid each other at the auction, something very similar to that happens, except it's even more frustrating logically than Gomez and Morticia at the auction. Very funny and not played for laughs. It's very real. Oh, geez. Oh, finally, I want to call out. There's some cinematography tricks that get overused so much these days. Mm. And I feel like they were almost pioneered by this film. I'm talking about stuff like the camera following the arrow into the apple in Pugsley's mouth or whatever, mm, right? Yes. Like that ultra zoom into Pugsley's face and his face even looks like the face of a kid in one of those shows where the camera is just speeding towards an actor's face. <laughs> yes. If I never saw that again, except for in this movie, I would be very lucky. Uh, and I thought it was, there was there's stuff like that all over the movie that I thought was interesting. But that is my last popcorn note. Whoa. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I already said it earlier. This is a five-star film for me. I love it. The nostalgia's there. It's amazing. What I really want to know is, Kev, what is your final rating for this film? I tried to get the audience ready for this at the beginning of the film. I think it's um, pretty sturdy, very good. I was surprised at how much, I will say, like, I thought this was going to be one of those where the only take I had coming in Besides some details to, fle- you know, mm-hmm. the Tim Burton and et cetera. I thought that it was going to be like good, but like I wouldn't have a lot of meat to bring to a discussion of it. Mm. And I was very surprised. I think this movie's great. 
Hell yeah. On my scale, I think it's great. I would say four stars. Hell yeah. Very good. Um, again, I wasn't there for it. I missed it, but doesn't mean it's any less fun. Hell yeah. I love it. I was hoping, I was expecting, I was worried it might be three and a half, which would also be okay, but I'm glad it's four. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's, I hate to say it like this, right? Because even this is subjective, but there's an objective rating of around three and a half to four. And there's just enough here for me to be like, yeah, that's absolutely a four star movie. Perfect casting, a lot of fun. Wish I had been there. <laughs> Sorry about the Girl Scout Wednesday mix up. <laughs> it's all right. Well, Kev, we should do our little show. I love gold. At the 1992 Academy Awards, <gasps> the Adams Family was nominated for Best Costume Design by Ruth Myers. Oh, wow. Did not know that. The Adams Family lost to... <laughs> okay, look at this spread. First of all, we're returning to this from the Hook episode. So take that for what you will. Ruth Myers also nominated Anthony Powell for Hook. Corinne Jarry, I'm assuming that, for a Madame Bovary adaption that I haven't heard of. And Richard Hornung for Barton Fink. The winner is Bugsy, Albert Wolski's costumes for the movie Bugsy, directed by Barry Levinson and starring Dick Tracy himself, Warren Beatty. Wow. So that's fun. <laughs> At the MTV Video Music Awards, MC Hammer was nominated for Best Video from a Film for Adam's Groove. I got to put that on our Instagram, that video. Please do. Everybody has to see it. This is the year of good vibrations. And Marky Mark was nominated alongside. Also, Madonna's Holiday from Truth or Dare, another great Warren Beatty film from that time. <laughs> oh my and God, the winner yeah. was En Vogue, My Lovin', You're Never Gonna Get It, which I believe is the song that goes, never gonna get it, never gonna get it, never yes. gonna get it. Yeah. Have that truth or dare joke I felt like was for me and that yeah it was I'm still laughing oh my god I really screwed up missing that they screened it at the Roxy and I just oh, couldn't go we gotta I could watch not it make it really unfortunate because one one day we will do it on the show because of the beautiful stranger video and yes. man alive is that gonna be exciting god I have so many stories about that movie oh my lord Hey, here's something. At the Razzie Awards, worst original song, MC Hammer for the song Adam's Groove. Boom. Finally, they got it. <laughs> Finally, they the got it. The only Razzie allowed. <laughs> and that's but a summary of the awards won by the Adams Family. That's what we call the segment, I Love Gold. Moving on to the Alan Parsons Project. This is the segment where we tie our movie of the week into the Austin Powers trilogy. Mackenzie, it's been a long, long, lonely time. But the Holy Trinity is back. Malcolm McNabb. Boom. Luis Tatulio. Boom. George Daring. Boom! <laughs> the fucking Holy Trinity! They are all back. They are all wonderful musicians who, again, have played on many of the most iconic scores ever. Could you imagine? This is the, this is the one question I want to ask, and I bet they get it all the time. Mm. How do you feel when you know, the package comes from, from FedEx and you get the score for back to the future, the theme for the first time. And you're play, you're fluting along to it. You're fluting around. <laughs> you're flouting. Like, how do you know? Can you tell just by the practice at home that it's going to be something or is it a Tuesday? Probably the latter, but mm. 
Yes. So those people are back. Keith Campbell has returned. Tommy Johnson in the music department. I'll also call out, because there's a good handful, call out Christopher Gilman, who will also bring us Bram Stoker's Dracul. Very exciting. (laughs) And a returning returning link from The Mask. So, good job. Hell yeah. There you are. You're over there. We have one you over there. Speaking of real Latinos, we talked about earlier. Uh, Ron sends in an email with the subject line, is ADP Latino? Which, if you don't listen to Real Latinos, it's a great ongoing joke that Ismail has. And Ron says, Saludos, Austin Danger Podcast. I wanted to write in and thank you and the all-seeing, all-knowing ADP wheel for finishing out Hispanic slash Latin American Heritage Month with a bang. The Addams Family was a big movie for my family when I was a kid. At the time, I was seven and had been watching reruns of The Munsters for years, but didn't know what The Addams Family was. When the promos started popping up on TV, my grandmother was very excited. You see that man there, mijo? The one with the mustache? That's Raul Julia. He's like us. He's Latino. At seven years old, I hope that was an okay impression of your grandmother, Ron. Good lord. Um, at seven years old, La Bamba and Stand and Deliver, both two great Latinos episodes, had been in constant rotation in my household, but I was too young to know what cultural identity was. My grandparents grew up in the 50s and raising kids in the suburbs of Southern California, assimilation was kind of the name of the game a lot of the time. They weren't always in a position to let their Latinidad shine, so to speak. So when Raul Julia got cast as the lead in a big budget mainstream remake of a beloved American sitcom, it was a legitimate moment for my grandma. And the first time I can remember it being pointed out to me that I was Latino. I didn't even know what it meant, but I felt special. Raul Julia became something of a hero of mine after that. The fact that he was diagnosed with stomach cancer at the time this movie was released was so bittersweet. We get the Adams Family values, which I actually love even more than the first, and then Street Fighter, and he was gone. Parenthesis, it's been written about a lot, but yes, Street Fighter is garbage, and yes, Julia was a pro in that, even being in that trash movie, fighting stomach cancer the whole time. He treats it like Shakespeare and absolutely crushes every scene he's in. Years later, when I was about 19 and my kid sister was about eight, she gifted me a Christmas gift. She was very proud because it was the first time she had picked out a gift for me all on her own. She even wrapped it herself. It was a DVD of The Addams Family. Quote, it looks like the creepy things you like, she told me. We popped it in on New Year's Eve, watching from a beanbag chair on the floor of her bedroom. When Gomez appeared on screen for the first time, I pointed out to her, see that guy, the one with the mustache? That's Raul Julia. He's like us. I'm, why am I crying? <laughs> I love my family. I love this movie. And I love Austin Danger podcast. Adios, your buddy, Ron. Ron's so good at this. <laughs> Can we just say, what Ron, the fuck? we have to do a reboot of the old radio show called The Rest of the Story, where Ron just churns these out <laughs> weekly. That's so good. Because Ron, he's still holding it fame, correct? He's still <laughs> holding it. Yeah, well. Folks should go back to the Peter Jackson's King Kong episode and listen to the mail segment for context. Truly, what is it about a Ron email that makes me cry? That is such a beautiful email, Ron. Thank you for sending that. Yeah, I mean, he's so incredible. And again, like I said earlier, just such a, a beautiful talent that was gone too soon and uh yeah i love gomez as a character and i love that he was a beacon of representation for your family that's so lovely it's such a beautiful thing when representation like it's a great example of representation mattering in a way that is also fucking awesome for everyone (laughs) yeah what a gift 
What a gift. What a gift that email was. What a gift that email was. I was nervous people would be too scared after the walking in Memphis, but this was an amazing follow-up. And if you would like to send an email about the Adams family and what it might have meant to you and your family growing up, if you want to sing us a song to one of the songs we've movies we've covered and we will play it on air, whatever you want to send to us, we will read it. We will share it. If you send it to austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also tag your reviews on Letterboxd and we'll check them out. But the best way to have your voice be heard again is austindangerpodcast at gmail.com send it our way i do want to add two things one you are not required to tell us a long beautiful no. <laughs> story about representation mattering to you in your life you are not obligated to sing us a song you are not obligated to um tell us about times you watch someone die like you could do whatever <laughs> you want this is your open form this is number the forum, two yes sometimes i feel like our conversation because of the way the show works and the way that we, how long we want it to be and how we want to touch on things. Sometimes I feel like we don't get it all. And that's by design mm. because T2 Redux is just a year away. <laughs> joke, joke. But like, if you're ever nervous about maybe they won't say something and you want it heard and you want it talked about, that's the way to do it. So please send them in again. It could be anything. It could be the dumbest shit ever. And we'll, you'll, you maybe you might think it's the dumbest shit ever. And then we love it because we love hearing from you guys. So think about that. Think about that indeed. And Austin danger podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> yes. Uh, and now it's time for the spooky. Well, Kev, I shipped it out the other day. Did it ever make it to your place? I don't see it. The all that bullshit about like whatever you send us is great. That's that was nonsense. I was stalling because the wheel is not here. It's not there. I don't know where it is. Oh, this is not good. This is like could, we don't have a backup. This is the wheel's gone. <laughs> it does seem a year and a half into this, you would have <laughs> thought I would have put some money away for a backup. <laughs> I mean, okay, I can pull up the tracking number. I, I shipped it out, you know, with UPS. Maybe we can see if we can get a, a, a location on it. I mean, we we had to get there one more week so we could send it to the exorcist. I'm going to have to call FedEx customer service and we'll get to the bottom of this next week. Oh, shit. Oh, no. I don't know what we're going to do. All right, we'll figure it out. Oh, we'll talk no. to the exorcist. We'll hear, we will report back to you next Monday with something. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Oh God! If you if you've intercepted the Austin Danger podcast wheel, please know we this is not a game. If you're holding it hostage, just let us know how much money you want. Okay, we will get it to you. <laughs> you may want to pay us. That thing that thing smelled like a like a sweaty beard. I don't know if people would want it in this state. But. <laughs> That's beside the point. We will investigate. We will get back to you next week with news on the wheel. But until then, from Mackenzie, this is Kev. Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.